0: Well, today we're going to conclude our series called, Can You Hear Me Now? Now, in this series, we've talked about the fact that God wants to speak to us. We understand that God speaks to us in many different and various ways, but primarily he speaks to us through the scriptures, through the scriptures. I believe that in Scripture, God has provided us everything we need to know. If we never got another prophecy, if we never had a dream, if we never had a vision, if we never had a you know a nudging from the Holy Spirit, I believe that, that God has provided for us everything that we need to know in Scripture. It's our job to search out the Scripture, and if we will search out the Scripture, we will spare ourselves a lot of problems, a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment in life, If we will study the Scriptures and learn the Scriptures and then apply what we have learned. If you agree, say amen this morning. Well, in this series, we have been dissecting the seven letters that were written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. These were, these were literal churches located in Asia Minor. Now, these seven letters are recorded in the book of the Revelation. Today, we're going to look at the last letter. This letter is addressed to the church of Laodicea. We find it in chapter 3 and verses 14 through 22. I want us to read this letter written to the church of Laodicea. But remember that not only was it written to them, but also it is profitable for us if we will glean from what uh, we can see uh, uh, in this letter to them. Let's read it. It says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there are six things in this letter that I want to point out to you today. Now, don't freak out about the number of points. I'm going to get it done in 30 minutes, all right? Well, the first thing I want to point out to you that I see in this letter is, and that is I see the preference. The preference, and we find this in verses 15 and 16. I want to read that again. Jesus said in this letter to this church, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. God is saying to this church, he is saying to these saints, he is saying to these people here, my preference is that you would be either cold or hot. Preferably hot. <laughs> but I can work with either. Either. Because if you are hot, that means that you are passionate for me. That means that you are passionate for my work. Wonderful. And you can accomplish much. And we're going to have wonderful fellowship. If you are cold, at least you will know it. You will be aware of it. It will be apparent to you. You can see where you are. And you can remember where you once were. And you can come back to me. You can stoke the fire and get it ablaze once again. But if you're lukewarm... If you're neither cold nor hot, if you are lukewarm, it won't be as apparent to you that the fire is going out. See, see, people who are lukewarm are comfortable. They're satisfied. They're complacent. They settle for mediocrity. Good enough is their motto. Well, here's what we can learn from this letter, and that is God cannot stand lukewarmness in his saints. Verse number 16, so then, say so then. So then, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. The Mike Benson Revised Version says, you make me sick. I thought about that. I wrote that down and I thought about that and it came to my attention. I'm like, you know, that's pretty strong. Maybe I ought to nicey that up a little bit. But that's exactly what Jesus said. Hello? Somebody told me recently, man, you've been preaching hellfire and brimstone. I've just been preaching the word. It's in the text. I've got to preach it. And I can't really, I can't really nicey it up. Because that's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, because, because you are lukewarm, because of that, I'm going I'm to vomit you out of my, out of my mouth. God cannot stand lukewarmness in his saints. And I ask you this morning, how can we, how can we become lukewarm? Jesus bought and paid for our eternal salvation with his own blood. It began in the garden of Gethsemane where he literally sweat drops of blood under the pressure of uh, of thinking about the cross and all that it would entail. He literally died for us in order to make salvation available to us. He, he suffered excruciating pain. Oh, oh, the nails in his hands and his feet, the spear in his side, the crown of thorns, the whipping on oh, the whipping post. Oh, I asked you this morning, oh, how can we become lukewarm about that? Nice. Nonchalant about that. Take him and his provision for granted how... Here we become lukewarm. The first thing that I see in this letter is the preference. God prefers that we either be hot or cold. He cannot stand lukewarmness. Second thing I want to point out to you today, and that is the passiveness. The passiveness, and we see this in verses 15 and 16 as well. It reads, I see that you are neither cold nor hot, and because you are lukewarm, say lukewarm, Think about that word, lukewarm. It basically means not so hot. Literally means not so hot. How would you like to be described like that? How would you like to have your church described that way? Not so hot. Not only described like that, but described like that by Jesus. One of the definitions that I read of this word said to be lukewarm is to be unenthusiastic. The saints of the church of the Laodiceans had become lukewarm. Not hot, but not cold. Not all in, but not all out. Not overly good, but not overly bad. Passive. Inactive, complacent, void of a sense of urgency. Hear me this morning, saints. The state of lukewarmness is a very dangerous place to be. This is the state that that, that the devil wants to get us in. He he wants to rock rock us to sleep through our creature comforts so that we will not be alarmed about the wickedness that's all around us or be motivated to do anything about a lost world in need of Jesus. Here's what I've learned. It seems that we aren't too concerned with the condition of the world until our world is affected we need to pray God God help my creature comforts to not rock me to sleep and and I become passive about the needs of others or become passive about the condition of my heart the Laodicean church found themselves in in this lukewarm condition and, and they weren't even aware of it How do you know, Pastor? How do you know they were not aware of? Because I'm smart. (laughs) No, I know it because of point number three, and that is the perception. And we see the perception in verse number 17, which says, Jesus said to them, you say, say, you say. You say, ah, oh, ha oh, ha, oh, I am rich and I am increased with goods and I am wealthy and I have need of nothing. But Jesus said, actually, you do not know that you are actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Notice the perception. There was a vast difference in their perception of themselves and God's perception of them. God said, You say this, but I say that. You have believed the devil's lie. You have drank society's Kool-Aid. Here's what I know. God does not measure our spiritual condition with society's gauge. God does not measure our spiritual condition with society's gauge. You say we're rich. You say we're increased with goods. You say we have need of nothing. You say we are wealthy. But Jesus said, but I say. it is possible to become financially wealthy while becoming spiritually bankrupt. Hear me this morning, our true net worth has little to do with finances. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he would have gained the whole world? And yet in the process of gaining the whole world would lose his own soul. Our true net worth has little to do with finances. It has much more to do with integrity, much more to do with character, much more to do with spiritual maturity, much more to do with a passion for God. It has much more to do with pursuing God's purpose for our lives. Investing ourselves in good things is not enough. We must invest ourselves. In God things. God does not measure our spiritual condition with society's gaze. Let's look at the fourth thing that I I see in this letter and that is the penalty. The penalty, and we find the penalty in verses 16 and verse number 19. In verses 16 and 19 of this letter it reads, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It goes on to say, Jesus is talking here. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Oh, I thought because he loved me, he gives me this and he gives me that and he gives me sugar sticks and he does this for you and he does that for me and he does stuff. Oh, that's the good, 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 good God that I serve. Well, he does all of that. But that's not what he said. He said, as many as I love, he says, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and Repent. See, too often we look at God's chastening or his discipline of us as something negative, as something mean, as something cruel, as something harsh, when actually it is a sign of his love. As many as I love, God says, I rebuke and chasten. Hear me this morning, parents refusing to discipline your children when they do wrong because you don't want them to be upset with you. You don't want them to be mad at you. You don't want them to not like you. That is not a sign of love. I'll just really get out on the limb this morning and just tell you, if they're not mad at you every once in a while, you ain't doing your job. It's not your job to make them like you. They, they love you. They always will love you, but they won't always like you. That just comes with the territory. Amen. People love me as their pastor. They don't always like me. Don't always like what I have to say, but eventually it gets through. If you truly love your kids, you're going to discipline them because you do not want them growing up to be adults that feel entitled or think their actions will not come with consequences. You teach and you train them partially, not all, but partially you do this through discipline. You teach them that doing wrong is gonna produce a penalty. And we don't hear that much in church. All we hear about is the love of God. And this is the love of God. That chastening, disciplining, it is God's love. Not just gifts that he gives and passes out. Chastening and, and all of these things are a part of God's love. Just as you teach your kids that doing wrong will produce a penalty, we need to know that doing things wrong as a child of God will produce a penalty. And it's a penalty that we don't want to pay. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 11 says, No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, say Afterward. Yeah afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There's a lot of ways to train your kids and there's a lot of ways that God trains his kids as well. But one of the ways that you train your kids and one of the ways that God trains us is through discipline. Because he loves us. And just as an earthly father who truly loves his kids will discipline them, so our heavenly father will do for us and to us as well. Hear me this morning, saints who become lukewarm will experience God's displeasure. He loves us just as we are, and oh, have that, has that not been overused? God loves us just as we are. Maybe a better way to say that is he loves us in spite of us. Well, God does love us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us this way. Verse 19 again, God says, as many as I love, as I what? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. All right, let's move on to the fifth thing that I want to point out in this letter, and that is the persistence. And we see this in verse number 20, where it says, Jesus is saying, and he's writing here, and he's saying to the church of Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Wait, what? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, what? What? First of all, who's the author of this letter? Jesus, right? Who's the author of this letter? Jesus. Who's the recipient of this letter? The church of the Laodiceans. What? Behold, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Get a mental picture of this. This verse is usually used as an evangelistic tool. We say to the sinner, we say to the sinner, Jesus is standing on the outside of your heart's door, and he's knocking because Jesus said, I'm knocking on the door, and if you'll open the door, I will come in to you. And we tell the sinner, Jesus is standing at your heart's door, knocking on your door. Will you open the door and let him in? Right? And this works. It's not necessarily scriptural, but it works. It's okay to use it this way. I I, I believe it really is. But actually in context, Jesus is standing not on the outside of somebody's heart, but he's standing on the outside of his own church. The church that he bought and paid for with his own blood and he's standing on the outside of his own church and he's knocking on the door of his own church wanting to come into his own church. And those on the inside are having church without him. And they, because of their passiveness and because of their poor perception, are not even aware that he isn't even there. And so verse 20, Jesus, standing on the outside of his own church, says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, can you hear me now? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Here's what I've learned, church. Prayer opens the door. (laughs) Here's what I've learned. Praise opens the door. Oh, oh, pursuit opens the door. Passion opens the door. Relevant is a term we hear much about from church specialists today. Relevant. We must be relevant to our times. We hear this drum beating loudly today. And I believe it's true, to a point. But we must be very, very careful that our focus does not shift to relevance. Relevance is an issue. We need to be relevant. Let me just help you older folks a little bit, or us older folks a little bit. I've got to say that. I don't want to. <laughs> the method that brought us to Jesus won't bring our grandkids to Jesus. The message will, but the method won't. But we must be very, very careful that our focus does not shift to relevance. Relevance is an issue, but it's not the main issue. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, it says, And it was heard that he was in the house. Who was in the house? He was in the house. Who's he? Jesus. It was heard that he, Jesus, was in the house. Notice, notice what happened when word got out that he was in the house. Immediately, say immediately. Immediately, immediately, many gathered, so many, that the house was packed with people. I asked you this morning, did relevance fill the house? Was the house filled because it was relevant? Did the latest and the greatest creativity fill the house? it was heard that he was in the house and when word got out that he jesus the one that opened the blinded eye the one that made the cripple to talk the one that made the dumb to talk and the deaf to hear that he he the one that had the words of eternal life when word got out that he was in the house many gathered but not only many gathered but there was so many that the house was absolutely packed to capacity I wonder what would happen to the grace place if word got out that he was in the house. Listen, we'll never be the most relevant. We'll never be the, you know, the latest and greatest because you know what? There's always a church that has more money than the other church, always does. And that's how you get there. You buy cool. Hello? And I think we're pretty cool. I think we're pretty relevant. I I like what's going on around here. I think this is awesome. I think it's awesome. I'm telling you, I'm not downplaying that at all. I'm just simply saying that the focus, the focus, the focus must remain on Jesus. It's Jesus that we need in this house today. Hear me this morning. Our Savior is full of mercy and grace. He persistently stands at the door and knocks. Oh, I do believe that he knocks on our heart's door. And oh, if we'll open our heart, the Lord will come into it. I certainly 100% believe that. But I also believe that he knocks on the door of the church. Any church that has crowded him out through their programs or procedures or self-reliance, listen, patiently he knocks. Patiently he knocks. Persistently he knocks. He will knock. Listen, he could just walk through the door. Amen, he could knock the door down, but he won't. He waits for an invitation. And he waits until he is invited. And I, I don't know about you this morning. I cannot speak for you today, but I want him here. I said I want him here. I want Jesus here this morning. In fact, I don't want to be here at all if he's not here. Let's look at the sixth and the final thing that I want to point out in this letter this morning. That is the promise. And it's found in verse number 21. Jesus said to him who overcomes... Notice that word, overcomes. Did you notice that word? Seven letters to seven churches in all seven letters have this included in all seven letters. Go back and see if I'm not correct. To him who overcomes. To everyone? Who too? to him who overcomes what's going to happen i i will grant to to sit with me on my throne even as i also came and sat down with my father on his throne wait wait what really wow we could just we could just run by that and just you know but listen listen we listen this is saying that we have the potential to receive the same reward that jesus did Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Say on my throne. (laughs) I will grant to sit with me on my throne just as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We have the potential to receive the very same reward that Jesus did. How? When he was sent on a mission to planet earth, but when he came back after fulfilling that mission and he heard the father's words that he, was, that he had done the mission that his father had sent him, he sat down and shared the father's throne. So will you and so will I. One of these days when our mission is complete, if we have done the mission that God has set us to do, listen, we will also go back to the father, we'll go back to the son, and Jesus will scoot over and he'll say, here, there's room for you, sit with me on my throne. Can you even imagine? You can't. You can't, in fact, First Corinthians 2 and 9 says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. For everyone? No, those who love him and those who overcome. The takeaway for the message today is this, have you checked your spiritual temperature lately? Have you checked your spiritual temper, temperature lately? When I had COVID, I had that low-grade fever. And I had that, you know, shoot you in the head thing. I wasn't sure I wanted to do that first. And <laughs> sat right there by my chair. And throughout the day, I'd reach over there. it would be there and it would be gone it would be there and it would be gone it would be there and it would be gone have you checked your spiritual temperature lately are you hot are you ablaze do you have a passion for God passion for his church A passion for his people are you cold are you cold cold in your soul Nothing can move you. Nothing stirs you. God forbid, are you lukewarm? Are you lukewarm? Have you checked your spiritual temperature lately? Father, I just pray that you'll take this word that has been shared today. I'm so grateful, so thankful, Lord, that you included this letter to the Layout of Sin Church in your book so that I can glean... I can learn. I can be warned. Thank you for your scriptures, Lord. You you speak, you speak, you speak. All we have to do is open the book and read. And we can hear the message you want us to hear.